Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights and topical debate. Hello and welcome to the April edition of the Into Security podcast. I'm your host, Eleanor Dalloway, Editorial Director at Info Security Magazine. And joining me today, as usual, are our Deputy Editor, Benjamin David, and reporter, James Coker. So just starting with a bit of good news, James completed the marathon last week. So how are you doing, James? And congratulations from all of us. Oh, thank you very much, Anna. Uh, yeah, I was, I was really very relieved to get it get it out of the way and uh, kind of immediately started eating and drinking afterwards. I got a time of 3.30, um, which, yeah, I'm sort of very happy with, with my first marathon. I was hoping to sneak just under, but it wasn't to be come the end. But yeah, it was, uh, it's so hard. It's a, it sounds obvious, but once you get past the 20 mile mark, it's does feel like hell so yeah very proud to have completed it i mean the time of 3:30 is still absolutely mind-blowingly amazing so well done we received in our team whatsapp group a picture of james's pint of guinness very soon after he finished um so yeah very well deserved uh well done james thank you thank you and how are you doing ben very well Thank you. I was, uh, of course, feeling very envious of James's incredible marathon performance that I decided to do a marathon of my own, albeit a movie marathon to make myself feel a bit better. But <laughs> yes, I'm, de- I'm generally doing very well. Thank you. Yeah, definitely my preferred type of marathon for sure. <laughs> Okay, so today's topic, um, the cyber skills shortage and recruitment. So as we all know, of course, the cyber skills shortage does loom large and cybersecurity is in the midst of one of the largest recruitment crises ever. With large numbers of private corporations needing to create in-house cybersecurity teams and government agencies facing mandates for strengthening cybersecurity capabilities, headlines pour in, giving us the impression that it's almost impossible to hire enough people quickly enough. This is a global problem. Uh, There's still a cybersecurity workforce gap of more than 2.7 million positions. According to the 2021 IC Squared Cybersecurity Workforce Study, the global cybersecurity workforce needs to grow by 65% in order to effectively defend organizations' critical assets, which is just insane. Worryingly, by 2025, it's predicted that there will be three and a half million cybersecurity jobs open globally, representing a 350% increase over an eight year period. And that's according to cybersecurity ventures. And to add salt to the skills gap wound, diversity is still a huge challenge, which obviously isn't helping. In fact, James and I attended the IC Squared London Secure event last week. And I did a manual diversity headcount in two of the sessions. And despite a program that talked about diversity and inclusion, and despite almost a third of the speakers being female, the audience was around 90% male. And it's been a long time since I've been in an audience that non-diverse. The balance was also equally heavily weighted um, ethnically too. I did tweet about this and IOC Squared have actually reached out to me personally um, regarding the tweet with exec headcounts. And I'm going to happily accept an interview with them to discuss this exact issue. 
There's no doubt that RC Squared as an organisation cares about diversity and they accept that there's a debate to be had right now about the diversity of cybersecurity event audiences and the impact that the perception of largely male-based audiences can have on efforts to improve industry diversity and inclusivity. So watch this space once I've done that for a write-up on the issue. But back to the podcast, we are so excited that today's podcast has an exclusive interview with cybersecurity and privacy attorney and consultant Lisa Garber, who explores how creating an effective cybersecurity contingent that focuses on teamwork and effective problem solving means hiring for the human elements. Lisa actually recently keynoted our North American online summit and she delivered a great speech. So if you haven't seen it, you can catch up with that on demand through our website now in the events section. Before we kick off with the news today, I'd like to say a big thank you to our episode sponsor. Trustwave Managed Detection and Response is an enterprise-proven solution that combines a cloud-native security operations platform, integrated threat hunting, elite cyber experts, and Spider Labs Global Threat Intelligence. Trustwave integrates into your environment from multiple clouds, endpoints, and on-premises devices for unparalleled visibility and protection. Thank you, James, and thank you, Trustwave. So as always, we're going to kick off with a roundup of some of the most significant InfoSec news stories that we have reported on recently. First up, back to you, I think, James. Thank you, Erna. Yes, that's right. Um, So I'm going to start with a a major cross-border law enforcement operation that was announced this week. And this led to one of the world's largest hacking marketplaces being shut down. As a result of Operation Tourniquet, which uh, was coordinated by Europol in support of the independent investigations of the US, UK, Sweden, Portugal, Romania, resulted in the the forum raid forums being shut down and its infrastructure seized. In addition, the notorious hacking forums administrator and two of his accomplices were arrested in the operation. Um, So this story appears to be a major development in the fight against cybercrime as raid forum is Raid Forums is believed to have sold access to to millions of personal and highly sensitive data that has been stolen in various high-profile data breaches over recent years. Um, So this this even includes payment details such as credit card and bank account numbers. Um, So while the move won't necessarily, well, it won't prevent stolen data from being sold online, considering Raid Forums reportedly has more than half a million users, and no doubt many of those will will move over to other illegal online marketplaces if they weren't there already. Um, But it does make the lives harder of those who who run such websites going forward and and really sends them a message that law enforcement has both the patience and and the skills to, to take down their operations. And so this was emphasised by the head of Europol's European Cybercrime Centre, Edvarda Silaris, who explained, disruption has always been a key technique in operating against threat actors online. So targeting forums that host huge amounts of stolen data keeps criminals on their toes. Europol will continue working with its international partners to make cybercrime harder and riskier to commit. And I think over to you, Ben, for quite a risque story dare i say very risque yeah so owners of electric vehicles in the isle of wight the uk were aghast recently after public charge points were hacked to display pornography 
Now, while service screens at the council's car parks were supposed to display its website, hackers changed a number of them to show explicit images. The incident was first reported by the Isle of Wight County Press after it was alerted by its readers. Charge points affected were part of the ChargePoint Genie network, although they were transferred to the GeniePoint network recently. Now, speaking on the issue, a council spokesman said, We are saddened to learn that a third-party web address displayed on our electric vehicle signage appears to have been hacked. Now, a council officer will be visiting the EV signage today and tomorrow to ensure the third-party web address is covered up. The council would like to apologise to anyone that may have found the inappropriate web content and for any inconvenience from charge points out of action. The spokesman added that the council recognised the unreliability of some other charge points in its car points and they would be replaced over the coming months. Eleanor, over to you for a Cadbury Easter scam news story. Thanks, Ben. I think that last story definitely had some eyebrows being raised in the office. I think the, the word inconvenience maybe doesn't do it justice. Um, but yes, definitely some giggles around that one. Um, yeah, over to Cadbury's for me. So a couple of weeks ago, just as the small people of the world started to get super hyped about Easter, and uh, trust me, I've experienced this firsthand in my household, Cyber criminals took that opportunity to launch a fish targeting chocoholics and, well, presumably parents wanting to make those said small people happy. Impersonating Cadbury, scammers used various social media and DM platforms to lure victims with the promise of receiving a free Easter basket filled with chocolate, of course, with a malicious link with the intent of stealing personal data. Cadbury, of course, stated the offer was not genuine and that it would take action to resolve the issue. But the scam had already gone viral at this point. In fact, I personally received the link to this supposed Easter hunt thread, but obviously scam, tens of times through various WhatsApp groups, including, sadly, the school mums thread, which between you and I is my least favourite WhatsApp thread. Um, hopefully it goes without saying that I was not fooled by the campaign and was able to advise people to delete and not take action. And when I say it goes without saying, it's not just because I'm a cynical old cybersecurity hack, of course, but because this wasn't a campaign like this is first rodeo. In November 2020, admittedly not around Easter time, a fake Facebook group used the lure of a free hamper of Cadbury chocolate to trick social media users into divulging their personal and financial details. At that time, victims were urged to click through. They were taken to a Cadbury branded phishing page to enter name, address, phone number, email and bank card details. 18 months later, it's a very similar story. And like we see often in cybersecurity, these things do tend to be cyclical. These attacks, of course, highlight the human factor risk in InfoSec. And when people receive messages from trusted contacts, it creates an inherent trust that wouldn't be in place if the same message was received from an unknown contact. In the wake of this, industry experts have called for social media sites to take responsibility and clamp down on such cyber attacks. And there's also been a call to WhatsApp to improve its authentication mechanisms. Again, though, on the, the along the lines of not being the first rodeo, we have heard stuff like this before. 
JC, um, over to you now, um, a data breach, a risk story. Thank you, Eleanor. Yeah, that's right. Our, our next story comes from a rather worrying survey from Imperva, which found that consumer trust in the organisations they do business with is, has hit rock bottom, leading many to essentially give up on their on their data security. Um, so the survey of 6,700 consumers across the US, Singapore, UK and Australia found that just 37% trust financial services firms to keep their data safe. Uh, this dropped to 33% for healthcare, 29% for government organisations and just 5% for retail organisations um, and 35% said they don't even trust any industries to protect their data. Um, so this issue has been exacerbated by the sheer volume of data that consumers share today. Um, half of those polled said they couldn't keep track of the security posture of each organisation they interact with, which is desensitising many to cyber risk. Um, so these kind of sentiments are really leading to consumers not, not worrying or, or being less concerned about their data security. A fifth of those polled said that they don't, they now don't care about how much data they share online, and over a quarter claimed it's inevitable information will get into the wrong hands, so they don't worry about it. Um, so given the number, growing number of data breaches we are seeing and the increasing amount of data being shared online, these findings are extremely concerning. Uh, and it really highlights both the the importance of organisations improving their own security and therefore gaining greater trust in their ability to protect their consumers' data, and also educating consumers about the need to be careful about what and how they share data online. Thank you, James. And thanks, Ben. So we're now going to dive into our interview for the podcast. But before we do so, I'm pleased to bring you a message from our sponsor, Trustwave. Cyber attacks aren't just a threat to your security, they're a threat to your business. Trustwave's industry-leading cybersecurity solutions and teams of renowned experts enable you to conduct business securely and seamlessly. Recognised by industry analyst firms as a leader in managed detection and response, Trustwave can optimise your existing cybersecurity investments while also supporting your team with proactive, human-led threat hunting and the latest global threat intelligence. Your focus should be on growing your business. So let Trustwave focus on protecting it. Right, Benjamin, you recently sat down with Lisa Garber to discuss effective cybersecurity hiring. And we're going to hear from you and her now, right? Yes, I sure did. So in our chat, Lisa explores how creating an effective cybersecurity contingent that focuses on teamwork and effective problem solving means hiring for the human element. Also, she argues that we must look to new candidate pools and diverse backgrounds while critically analysing what obligations need to be met and what tasks need or must be accomplished. Lisa, thank you for joining me on the Into Security podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. So Lisa, one of the questions I have for you is, what is the cyberskills gap and why should the industry be concerned? In the past couple of years, cybersecurity has been the buzziest of buzzwords in the tech community. And now the buzziest of buzzwords is the cybersecurity skills gap. And we see statistics every single day that just seem dire. Hundreds of thousands of unfilled cybersecurity job openings in the U.S., in the UK, basically everywhere, we have different government agencies that continue to check on unfilled positions in 
government as well as the private sector, and numbers about how quickly the U.S. cybersecurity workforce needs to grow, how quickly it needs to grow abroad in order to meet demand. And part of this is because companies and in private and public sector are realizing they need to have dedicated teams to cybersecurity. It's no longer something that just someone simply in IT can handle. I think because there's more recognition and appreciation for how significant cybersecurity obligations are and how you need to be proactive, there is this idea of a skills gap. Now, this is something I've been studying for quite some time, and I teach at a law school and at a business school, and part of what I've seen is that as I focus on information privacy and cybersecurity, Students come from all different backgrounds and all different age groups. There are people that are in their early 20s that are history majors or comp sci majors, but then there are adults that are coming back in, either trying to add a layer of cybersecurity onto their job, whether they work in healthcare, finance, or some other field where they're starting to realize, hey, this could really help me move up. And... When we talk about a skills gap, I think the problem is we don't recognize where talent can come from. And that's something that I've looked into quite a bit, especially with the publication of my recent book, Can Trust Will? Hiring for the Human Element. Fantastic. So a follow-up question is, what are the common mistakes organizations make in hiring cybersecurity talent? There are so many mistakes that, unfortunately, companies and government make in terms of hiring for cybersecurity talent. Part of it, the the foundational problem sometimes is they don't know what they need. Part of what you have to do as a hiring entity is understand what your cybersecurity obligations are, what the threats are, and what data you collect in order to understand what people you actually need on a cybersecurity team. And that could mean people that are techies, it could mean lawyers, it could mean people in compliance and risk. So you need people from all different backgrounds to form a team, whether that's internal or outsourced to vendors. And so once you have that foundational piece done, the system that I've come to explore in my book, Can Trust Will, is simply that, can. The question of, can the person actually do the job? Can they, do they have the competencies Trust, obviously, can you trust them? And will, what will they do, especially in a high-pressure, high-stakes, stressful situation? Part of the problem with CAN is that we have a million different certifications you can get. We have all different academic degrees, all different kinds of internships and experiences. And unfortunately, many companies are still hardwired to only look for, you want these 10 certs, you want 10 years of experience in a technology that's only existed for five, this is a very common problem. And then they're not willing to look at other pipelines for talent. And you might need to look outside of very high-end academia. You might need to look at somebody who's maybe been coding in their basement for many years um, on the heels of doing some other unrelated job that may actually inform their experience in helping your build your cybersecurity team. And so there's no magic pipeline for talent. It's important to understand that this can be a mistake that many make just saying to a recruiter, find me somebody, or to your LinkedIn network, 
find me somebody. That, that doesn't work. You really have to put in the time and effort to see what you actually need and who can do that job. What steps should organizations follow to improve their recruitment practices? One of the easiest ways I can advise to improve recruiting is to avoid what we call in my book, the big mistake, which is simply hiring somebody because he or she is like you. And you can say, oh, that person's just like me or reminds me of a young me or seems really nice. These are not qualities that correlate to success. And what it means is if you start really diving into what skills you need and what behaviors you need, right? So for example, a great CIO needs to be calm under pressure, able to juggle multiple tasks, things like that, versus somebody who's going to be reading firewall logs all day probably has a different set of behavioral traits. It's important to take a look, again, a deep dive at what you actually need, the person that you actually need, and be comfortable in hiring someone that isn't just like you. And that should lead to a diverse team, which as we all know in cybersecurity, you need diverse perspectives to attack different problems. We have threats that evolve at the speed of light in this field, and you need a team that's going to approach problem solving in a creative and diverse way. And that means people from all backgrounds, all age groups, all races, all genders, it simply has to be that way to succeed. And I've heard time and time again, hackers will say the companies that are the hardest to breach are the ones that have teams that work together. So having a diverse team doesn't mean you can't function as a, as a unit. It just means that you're able to work together to allow each other to give their different and unique perspectives. And it really helps you move forward in a more efficient and effective way. One final thing is with a diverse team, you can still bond them. Even if it's not somebody that you'd like to go out for a beer with after work, it's somebody with whom you share a mission. You share a mission to protect the entity itself. And that's something that you can create with the idea of shared intention. That's wonderful. Lisa Garber, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Well, that was great. And if you enjoyed that conversation with Lisa, as I mentioned earlier, I would really recommend you check out the keynote that she delivered at the online summit, which happened in March. You can do that, of course, at www.infosecurity-magazine.com. That is all we've got time for in this month's episode of the Into Security podcast. Again, I'd like to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Trustwave. Trustwave MDR, defend with confidence, respond with precision. I do hope you've all enjoyed listening to this podcast today. We will, of course, be back next month for another instalment on another theme. And we do have a Into Security Chats episode coming up too with Camille Stewart. So look out for that. Until then, thanks for listening. I've been Eleanor. I've been James. And I've been Benjamin. Thanks for listening to Into Security. For in-depth interviews with the industry's finest minds, check out our sister podcast, Into Security Chats. Join us again next month. Until then, stay safe and keep up to date with everything you need to know about information security via the infosecurity-magazine.com website. <laughs>